Father, uh, uh, Lord, we do look forward to tonight, and thank you that we can gather together, and, and Lord, that we can come and study your word. And I do pray that, Lord, as we do open up your word, and uh, God, that we don't just read a story about something that happened uh, millennials ago, millenniums ago, and, and just kind of look at that and, and think about, uh, yeah, that was good, but now's now. But Lord, I pray that we would understand and glean I think especially this chapter is a powerful, powerful uh, a tool for us to get a hold of in our lives. And that we would know and understand that God, no matter how dark, how hard, how difficult, how ugly life gets, that God, you're still there. And you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us. And Lord, we need to be people who learn to turn to you and call on you. So I do pray that, that you would bless this time and God, you would just encourage all of us in this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, we've kind of been dealing a little bit with a drunken, happy king, right? Not happy with his wife, but happy with life and, and going through all of that, watching what happens there, Esther coming to power, and then Haman coming and kind of, to me, ruining everything. But the king and Haman are still really happy. Jews, not so much. And so we need to think about that. Now, think about these people have been notified that they are all going to be killed. And everybody in the kingdom, and it was interesting reading one of the commentaries, they said, well, they could always go to Jerusalem and, or go back to Israel or Jerusalem. No, they couldn't. That's still under Ahasuerus. That was still under his control. So that wasn't it. Bottom line, they couldn't go any place. I mean, yeah, there were places, but they're so far away, they weren't logistically a place they could go. So here's the news. You're all going to be killed by the decree of the king. And Haman offered, we know he offered money. He said he was going to take care of it. So you see all of that, and then here's the thing. What are you going to do? You as an individual, because oftentimes, here's what we think. Well, if everybody's not going to get on board, then nobody gets on board, right? And hey, we need to know as one person, we can make a difference. And as one person, we can take a stand, we can do something, and we can affect change. We just have to be that person that's willing to step out and do that. And even, you know, get out of our comfort zone, get out of the place, and really be willing to do it. I think as some of the, you know, some of the great artists you think of, Michelangelo doing the Statue of David. I don't know if you know the history of that, but nobody else, they brought that rock into town, I say rock, but, and they tried to commission people to do it, and greater artists than him, he wasn't known at the time, said there's no way you can make anything out of that. And here's this young guy, bold and brash, I can make something out of that, and he does it. And, you know, you think of uh, the 16th Chapel and, and, and Da Vinci doing that. And then I wrote down some things. Here's some interesting things I didn't know uh, that I found. 1776, one vote made the difference between us speaking English or German. One vote. If it would have gone the other way, we would be doing the study in German tonight. But it didn't. It went English. One vote brought Texas into the Union. One vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. One vote gave Rutherford, uh, Rutherford Hayes, uh, gave him the presidency. And then one vote gave Hitler power in Germany. One vote. 
And we think about things and, hey, we might only be one person, but we can make a change. I think of Martin Luther taking that stand way, way back and, and doing in some of the great reformers and great men of God who were willing to say, I don't care, I'm gonna do it. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Somebody willing to take that and get out of their comfort zone and go for it, even though it may cost them everything. They're not looking at the price it's gonna cost. They're looking at right and wrong, bottom line. And hey, that's hard. We live in a time, I think it's hard to take a stand. I get it, it's difficult for us to go out and be bold about our witness and who we are in Christ and, and take those stands. People, hey, people aren't real happy with Christians right now. And yet we need to be that one person and not be afraid and not be, hey, and, and I'm not trying to you know, guilt trip us into go out and do this. Because some of us, I, I, I personally, this is like just popped in my head. I don't like it when people are witnessing when they're hokey, you know, like they have to do it and they're not sincere. Hey, if you're sharing Jesus with somebody, make it sincere. If you're just being hokey and saying hokey things, don't do that. People look at you and go, you're just weird. Be sincere about what's coming out of your, out of your mouth and hopefully it's coming from your heart. So here we have uh, the setting. Remember, they've, they put it out. And the interesting thing, remember, everybody in Shushan, in the capital, they're confused about what's going on. All around, people are getting it, but people in the capital, where the king is, where Haman is, where Queen Esther is, where Mordecai is, they're confused. And there's confusion going around and we have to keep track of that. And then, I love verse one. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and he cried with a loud and bitter, voice, or bitter cry. And he went as far as the front of the king's gate for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So listen, man, Mordecai read that and remember Last chapter, Mordecai and Esther weren't broadcasting their heritage. They weren't wanting people to know they were Jews. They were kind of being undercover, and we, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, right? And now, listen, man, this guy comes out of the closet, so to speak, and he comes out in a big way. He comes out, and he's here, he humbles himself because of the news. Now, I want us to think about that. He got news that the whole government's against him. He didn't protest. He didn't fight. He didn't get angry. He humbled himself. He put on sackcloth and ashes. You know, people pick on Esther a whole bunch and say, God's not mentioned in Esther, but God is all the way through this book. People don't put on sackcloth and ashes to, you know, celebrate Halloween. Anybody come to your door tonight with sackcloth and ashes on? I don't think so. You put on sackcloth and ashes when you're in a state of humility. And he humbles himself even to the point, look at what he does. Remember, we saw him last time sitting at the king's gate. Somebody who had some, some kind of authority. We don't know how much, but some kind. Now he comes 
And he's in sackcloth and he humbles himself and he comes as far as the gate, but now he can't take that position of authority because of what he's done. He's come out, I'm a Jew, I know what's happening and I'm gonna do this. I'm sure you guys have all heard the quote uh, that they talk about, you know, hey, the, the thing that you can do when evil comes, I gotta find it, uh, th- that all that is required for evil to triumph is to do nothing. And here he's doing something, man. He's taking that stand. And you gotta love Mordecai at this point, right? You gotta kind of be in his corner and go, yes. And he's out there doing it. And then it tells us in verse three, and every and in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So, hey, it's all over It seems like he's the only one in Shushan doing it at the moment, but it's all over, all through all the provinces, man. The Jews are are humbling themselves. And once again, I think it's important that we understand, hey, I think we can bring about change by being humble people. Being humble doesn't mean you're gonna let people walk all over you, but you're gonna be humble. You're gonna have that sign of humility when you come. When I think of great men of God, I think of men like Billy Graham. What a humble man. You never heard Billy Graham boast about Billy Graham. You never heard Billy Graham boast about his crusades or what was going on. I think even in our movement, Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith never boasted about the churches that were planted and what went on. Chuck's thing was always, I can't believe there's that many churches. That's a, you know, and, and you know, just that humility. And now you have this whole nation or group of people within a nation showing humility, and people are freaking out. Meanwhile, back at the castle, back inside, you have this girl who's not quite understanding what's going on. I gotta wonder, well, verse four says, so Esther, so Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments and, uh, uh, to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept him. Now, now listen, what's going on with her? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if she hadn't heard what's happening. I'm not sure if she hadn't got the communication. Remember, they didn't have Facebook then, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have all of those things going on so I don't know if if she was kind of left out I'm sure I'm sure the king kept her somewhat secluded in his harem and I'm sure he kept those women knowing the pig that he was he kept them away from things didn't let them know things so I'm I don't know that she understood exactly what was going on but they come to her and they go hey your cousin who's your adoptive dad right I guess uncle he's he's out there and he's in sackcloth and ashes. And she's not putting it together. She doesn't know what's happening yet. And so here's what she does. I'm gonna give him some clothes. I don't know why he's dressed like that. Why is he, why is he doing that? And they, we have to realize too, I think their Judaism had kind of taken a back seat for a few years. And I don't think it was real prevalent in, in their day-to-day walk. So she thinks she does what any, probably any, you know, daughter would do. Hey, Dad, you're kind of embarrassing me. Dads, all the dads laughed. They know daughters do that all the time, right? My daughter still, you know, you think she'd get over it by now? 
still tells me, Dad, you're embarrassing me. I will get an email tonight. So listen, man, you're embarrassing me. And so, so she sends him clothes, and then it says, and, and he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther called uh, Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. Now, you know, it, we, can, we can name Hathak now. We can name Hathak Facebook, text, any of those things, because that's what he's going to be. He's going to be the, he is the social media of that day, of Ahasuerus. He's the guy that's going to do all the communicating between Esther and Mordecai. For whatever reason, they didn't come together, so he's going to be the go-between. Now think about that, because it's always difficult. Think about trying to communicate with somebody. I mean, we're, we're now a whole a whole. Uh, society that we just text everything just about and you know hey, you don't get expressions well now we've got emojis right and now we have our our me emojis and we can put ourselves on there and we can do expressions and we can stick our tongues out and we can do all of those things but it's still not the same as really talking to somebody we've lost that art of face-to-face communication and some of us older people, we still semi-understand it. But man, young people, I'm worried about them. Now, right now, these two can't have face-to-face communication, so they're using Hathak for Facebook. So he had appointed Hathak to attend her in the middle of verse 5, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So here's what's going on. She goes to this guy, and she goes, go go find out what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why my uncle won't take those clothes. What is the matter with him? And so... He's the go-between, right? So you kind of get the idea he's going out of the palace, running out, and he can't get real close to the gate, and he's got to go to Mordecai, and he's going, Mordecai, what's the matter with you? Why are you doing this? And, and so then Hastak in verse 6 went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him, all that had happened to him, and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. So, so here's what's interesting. It seems like even Hathak didn't know what was going on. Although he was part of the palace. So that tells me there was a real separation at that time between what the king and the king's business and what was going on there and the women in the harem and what was going on there. And as I said, kept in seclusion. You know, the best way to dupe people is don't give them any information. People don't know what they don't know. I know that's profound. But it's true. And... Hey, I remember one time when we were in a village in Mexico and it was a place where we had, I I think I told you guys about this village where we would drive for two days on a dirt road, then hike for two days back and these guys were secluded and we were in this little school and we picked up, we picked up like the, the first grade readers and second grade readers and the stuff that they had written about America was horrible. But that's all those the young people knew. That's all, all they knew was that information they got. So they would think we were horrible. And you got to kind of understand, hey, right now, what's going on in, in the harem world? They don't know any of this other stuff's happening. It's, you know, they're oblivious to it, so they don't know, so it's not affecting their lives. 
Now, Hathak goes to Mordecai. Mordecai says, hey, don't you know this guy, Haman? He's part of the palace. Don't you know he's got this degree and he paid this money and he, and he got the king to sign a decree and all of the Jews are gonna be massacred on this day. Remember, it's a few months away. I don't know why they cast lots and they got that day and that's all weird to me. Well, not really because God's in control, right? So they got this day away. So he lets them know everything that happened. And then he tells them this in verse 8. And he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, uh, which was given at Shushan. So here's what he's saying. Here it is. It's in writing. We're not just talking. This isn't just a story. This is not make-believe. Here's the decree. Take it and read it to Esther. And let her know. And then listen what he says, because I think this is where it gets important. And he says, he says, uh, uh, he gave it to him that he might show it to Esther and explain to her that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. Now listen what he just said to Hathak. Here's what Mordecai just told Hathak. We're Jews. Wow. You talk about, hey, the sackcloth and ashes kind of gave it away for him. But he just outed her. He just let Hathak know she's a Jew. She needs to go and plead for her people. Now, that's pretty incredible when you think about it. Let's think about what's going on, right? There's a decree out that you have to kill all the Jews, now the queen is a Jew. Wow. Now we got a problem, right? Now we got issues we have to deal with. And we got things that, you know, Ahasuerus never even dreamt of when he was all happy and crazy and drinking buddies with, with Haman and they're, you know, they're doing stuff and now they've signed that decree and now that decree's law, that can't be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. We know all about that from here and about that from Daniel. How, and I don't know why that was so strict then, but that's the way it was. So he gave it to him. So verse, uh, verse nine, so Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now, once again, kind of, you got to understand something. Hathak, he, I don't know if he could show the emotion that Mordecai had. Mordecai and Esther aren't talking face to face. They don't know each other's emotion. They don't know what's behind what's being said. It's just like they're doing Facebook and they're doing, you know, personal messaging on it. And you got this guy going in between, and, and hey, that's got to that's hamper what is really being said. Could Hathak really? Share the heart of Mordecai with Esther? I don't know. But here's something that intrigues me. Hathak, who's that guy? Like most of them see his name and we go, that's a, like the weirdest name ever. Don't name your kids that. But you see his name and you know what? It's totally, totally blows my mind. The people that God uses that to so many are insignificant. Like this guy. Who is this guy? He's just Hathak. But yet, he is a cornerstone in this entire scene going down and everything that's going to happen without him, things don't change. 
And we got to, listen, we got to know, again, hey, I think Mordecai's the one guy that makes a difference, but I think Hathak is the one guy that makes a difference. You know, you see him in there, and hey, he could have told Mordecai, I'm not going to go back and give her that. I don't want to give her that message. That's going to freak her out. And if she gets freaked out, and then she tells the king she's freaked out, and the king sees she's freaked out, and I freaked her out, then the king might freak out and kill me. So he's got, hey, he's taking some responsibility here, and he's doing some things. And yet, do we ever even remember his name? When we think of Esther, how many of you think of Hathak? None of us. You're even going, I didn't even care. But isn't that the way? Hey, what was the kid's name who brought the lunch that Jesus used to feed the 5,000? We don't know, do we? Have no idea. What was the maid's name? Remember the maid that talked to Nathan? Not Nathan the prophet, but Nathan the ruler who in Kings went and was healed. Remember, she was just that Hebrew maid. Don't know her name. Something we need to know is that God oftentimes, listen, uses people that are obscure, people that are hidden to do some of his greatest work and we don't even know them and it doesn't matter Listen, if you're doing work to be recognized, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And so here you have this guy, Hathak, man, a nobody that nobody really even cared about. He's all he is is a eunuch going back and forth. Now, one more thing. You think he might have been a Jew? He's going back and forth. He's willing to do this. Kind of an interesting thought. Hey, they used Jews for slaves. I don't, I don't know, but kind of interesting that he was involved with this. So you go tell her she's got to do this for her people. Then, verse 10, then Athak, or I'm sorry, Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. Here's what I'm thinking, man. This is getting old quick, right? Hey, my uncle's out there. He won't take my clothes. Go find out why he won't take my clothes. He comes back. He's not going to take your clothes because they've commanded to kill all the Jews. By the way, madam, you are one. But they're going to kill all the Jews. And, you know, you're going to be annihilated. And, and Mordecai says, you know, you need to make a plea for your people. And then she says, now, can you go back and give him this message? I'm thinking if I'm Hathak, I'm thinking, you guys need to get an iPhone or something. And this is getting ridiculous, right? So now he goes back. Then she says, you go back and you give this command to Mordecai. Verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called he has but one law put all to death except to the one he holds out the golden scepter that he might live so here's what she says you know I know everyone knows you don't just barge in to Ahasuerus and say hey what are you thinking trying to kill all the Jews she goes if I go in there he doesn't hold out the golden scepter I'm dead all you're risking is, you know, what you're, what you're doing. I'm dead if I go in there. So here's what, bottom line, here's what Esther's saying. I don't think I want to do that. Do any of us feel that God is moving in a direction and we go, I don't really think I want to do that. Maybe we're scared. Maybe it's off-putting. Maybe we're, we're worried about the, you know, the consequences Maybe there's things that we know that might happen. Hey, I remember, I remember now 26 years ago. I think, no, longer than that. What year are we in? 
So 28 years ago when Bob Davis called me and said, hey, Pat, I really want you to come and take over Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista. And we had that conversation, and here was my response, no. And he said, seriously? And I said, yeah, seriously, no. He said, why not? And I said, because I'm in Bisbee, and I'm happy in Bisbee. I was born in Bisbee. I'm going to die in Bisbee, and I'm not coming. And he said, are you going to pray? And I said, no. (laughs) And he said, why? And I said, because I don't want to hear the answer. (laughs) And obviously, we see what happens. You see, there's times where God calls us to do something that we never even we never even had in our mind or heart that was gonna happen. And now God's calling Esther, and here's what she's saying. I can't do this. Do you know how big this is? Do you know how huge this is? I'm not gonna, no way, I am not, that's what she's saying, because it's gonna, oh, and, oh, there's one more little caveat. I know I didn't finish that verse. Look at the end of verse 11. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. Here's what she's saying. 30 days I haven't been in there. Wow. So she's saying, it's a no-go. You get another plan, Mordecai, because I'm not doing this. Now, I don't really blame her, and I don't think she's being a coward, and, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't think she's bailing on anything. She's just saying, hey, she's being realistic, and she's being honest, and she's saying, if I go and he doesn't like it, he's gonna kill me, and we're gonna learn in a minute. Mordecai's gonna say, you're gonna die anyway, so you might as well go. But can you hear her heart? So Hathak comes, tells her everything Mordecai says. Now she tells Hathak, you go back and tell Mordecai, ain't happening. Now how is Mordecai gonna, I'm sorry, how is Hathak gonna communicate that? Once again, when you're talking face to face, you get the emotion, you get what's going on, but when you're out with this intercessory guy or you're texting people, they can't tell your emotion, even with your emojis. They don't know your emotion, they don't know what's going on for real. And so listen, man, this is interesting to me. I think this Hathak, I think he, again, I think he communicated things very properly, and I think he was good at it. So he goes, listen, he goes, verse 12, so they told Mordecai Esther's words. So Hathak goes and says, she says no, and this is why, and he explains everything, and she's gonna die. So here's one of the, the big, big famous verses of all of Esther that everybody builds Esther on, right? Verse 13, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape the, in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. So first of all, Here's what he's saying. Hey, just because you're in the palace, that doesn't mean you're not going to die. You're going to die just like the rest of us are going to die because now you've been outed as a Jew because I just outed you. It's like, thanks, Uncle Mordecai. So you're out in the open, so don't think you're going to escape that judgment. And then, you know, the beginning of verse 14 could be read a couple different ways. For if you remain, verse 14, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now, the New King James chooses to word it that, hey, if you don't do it, God is going to get his will done, whether it's through you or through somebody else. That's the way that's 
Sounds like that's worded. And I believe, listen, I believe that's true. I'm not sure absolutely if that's what Mordecai was communicating to her, but I do understand that fact. Hey, you know what? God's not bound up and, and, and his plans are destroyed because we won't be obedient. I hate that message. I despise it when people say, if you don't do it, then God's will's not gonna get done and it's all your fault. Man, if God depends on me, he's hurting for certain. I believe he's gonna use me and I believe he's gonna give me opportunities and I believe I can either walk through the opportunities or not walk through the opportunities, but God's will is gonna get done. I believe, listen, I believe that's one way to say it, but then another way he could be saying this is he could be asking a rhetorical question. He could be saying, Esther, if you don't go, is God going to bring deliverance to his people another way? Yes or no? Rhetorical. Well, no, there's no other way. Kind of type thing. Could be that. Although I think it's the other. I think he's kind of planting in her heart. Hey, sweetheart, I know you won the beauty pageant. I know you got all that going on, but you really need to do this. And you don't need to do it just for God and for his will to get done because it's going to get done. You need to do it because, and here's what he says, right? You need to do it, why? Because that's why you're where you're at, right? He says, he says, will another, uh, will God save from another place but you, in the middle of verse 14, and your father's house will perish. That's kind of interesting because they will die. And he says, yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, is that why you're there? Do you, ever, do you ever sit and ask yourself, why am I where I'm at right now? Why did God let me go there? And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about why am I here for the next year. I'm talking about immediately you're in places and you go, why am I here right now? What doors are open for me? God, give me spiritual eyes to see what I'm, what I'm here for, what I'm able to do. Who am I able to talk to? Why have you placed me in this place? Why have you let me be in this situation right now? And here's what he's telling us. You're here for a purpose and for a reason. Now, hey, I like, I like Uncle Mordecai right now. Here's what he's doing, man. He's giving her a pep talk. Once again, not face-to-face, -face, so it's kind of hard to communicate his emotion. But I believe his emotion is, hey, this is why you're there. Think about, think about what God has done. Why, of all of the women that were marching and parading around that day, did you get chosen to be queen? Why is it that Vashti did something, that she was displaced, that you got in that place? Think about everything that's happened, and here we are. Woohoo! Kind of a pep talk, not, not laying it on her, not guilt-tripping her, not trying to motivate her. Hey, the worst motivation is guilt, if you do things for God through guilt, you're gonna blunder and you're gonna mess up. You need to do things for God because you love him. You need to do things for God because you know God is giving you an opportunity and opening a door. You need to do things for God simply because you belong to him and not through some kind of manipulation that somebody does. Again, horrible way to get people to do things. So Mordecai is saying, Esther, this is it, man. I can kind of hear, can't you hear in his voice? This is why we're here, sweetheart. Let's go. 
And so listen, man. He, so, verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. <laughs> Seriously, man, I am so tired of going back and forth. Can't you guys like just talk through the bars or something? Like this is getting old, right? So, hey, it worked, didn't it? Look what, look what Esther said. Verse 16, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. So here's what she's saying. Go get everybody that's left. Remember, it's been 12, maybe 13 years since Ahasuerus has been in, in, in place of authority, has been king. It's been a while. Remember, it was three years when one thing went down and then 12 years, late, you know, tw- a total of 12 years when Haman came. So it's been a while, 12, 13 years. And even before him, remember the decree went out that they could be freed. All the Jews could leave, but not all the Jews left. It's funny, J. Vernon McGee says, all the Jews who didn't leave are outside of God's will. I'm thinking, I think that's, a, that's like a heavy call. I'm not sure they're outside of God's will because Daniel did not leave. That much I know. And Danny, of all people, is someone when I grow up, that's who I want to be like. So we have, listen, we have all of the Jews. There's still a bunch of Jews in Shushan hanging out. And here's what Esther says, man. You go get all the Jews. In other words, listen to what she's saying. Go get our people. Let's go get our people. And you know what? Let's not do a demonstration. Let's not do a protest. Let's not come against the government. Let's just get on our faces before God. And let's humble ourselves. I love that. Let's humble ourselves, right? Go get all of our people. And she says, hey, and she says, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, and my maids and I will likewise, will fast likewise. Now listen, this blows my mind. Here's what she's saying. I'm gonna get everybody in here to do the same thing. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Esther had some influence in the harem. Even though people say she was undercover, something was going on. Hey, you're not, you're not in that position. And right now, right now, I bet if I, if, I, if I just went through and asked some of you to fast for me, you know, for three days, some of you would say, ain't gonna happen. Some of you might. Some of, most of you, though, I think would say, no, I don't think so. And Esther has that influence in her hearts. And even greater than that, maybe you guys would do it because you guys are kind of come to church here, so. But if we went to just out in the community and said, hey, would you fast for me? People are gonna say, no, I'm not gonna fast. What's the matter with you? Now, once again, I wanna emphasize, fasting is not to get God to do something. This fasting was not so that God would move. This fasting was so that Esther would have the faith to do. And hey, it's, in other words, she's trying to get her heart right, and she's needing the people to be praying for her specifically. Fast and, you know, hey, it's not sad, but when a Jew fasted, a Jew always prayed. Prayer's never mentioned in this book either. Kind of interesting. But when, hey, when they're saying fasting, they're saying pray. Pray and fast for me because I'm gonna do this. Here's what she's saying, man. I'm gonna step out and do this and it's a scary thing, especially, let's think about this. What was she queen or why was she queen? Because she was a looker. 
Bottom line, I mean, people go, it wasn't a beauty contest. Yeah, it was a beauty contest. You can, you know, again, you can paint it however you want. The king was a pig, and he was wanting young, beautiful women. He wasn't looking for young, you know, atrocious-looking people. He was looking for young, beautiful women. And she's known for her beauty and stuff, and here's what she's saying. I'm gonna fast and put on sackcloth and ashes for three days. Women in sackcloth and ashes are not beautiful usually. Nobody in sackcloth and ashes looks good. So she's saying, here's, I'm gonna do this. Now think about that. Now she's putting herself in that same place. And so she's saying, I'm gonna do it. These people are gonna do it. And so when we're done, I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Don't you love that? Here's what she's saying, it doesn't matter. You know, I think it's important that we understand death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Maiming is. I'm always, you know, sometimes and I get in situations like sometimes when I'm flying, I think, I wonder if this plane wrecks. And I'm always worried it's gonna like wreck and I'm just gonna be maimed. Like if it's gonna wreck, go hard. We in Israel one time got stuck on a cable car, it wrecked. And we were at the top of Masada and a cable car wrecked and it kind of tilted down and everybody slid to the front and it was a, it was a little bit of an experience. And so, you know, we had to kind of calm everybody and we ended up having to climb out and stuff. And at one point they were, the guy, the guy that was operating it hit every button there was to hit looking for the panic button, I think. But, and he hit the emergency brake, so it set a brake. And so they couldn't pull us back up. So we had one individual who was a ex-cop climb up on top to release the emergency brake so they could pull us back up. Now my thought was, when he releases that brake, are we going to free fall all the way to the bottom? That's all I was thinking is, if we go all the way, man, that's a long, long zip line and it's not gonna be a happy ending. And then I'm thinking, and I'm gonna be maimed. I just don't wanna be maimed, you know? I'm, I'm the part, like, if I perish, I perish. I just don't wanna be maimed. So here's what she's saying. Oh, by the way, the cable car, we climbed out, and we're all here. So, just, we made it through, but it was a little interesting. We're the only, we're the only group in all of the history of tours of Israel that wrecked a cable car. By the way, we're doing a trip in 2020 <laughs> if you would like to go. So just thought I'd let you know that's there and, and uh, you can ride the cable car with us. Here's the thing, you ride the cable car with me, this is what I tell people. I never tell them this story before, but I tell people if you ride the cable car with me, I've wrecked it once, what's the odds of me wrecking it twice? Like they're huge, the odds of somebody else wrecking it once are better than the odds of me wrecking it twice. So get on with me, you're safe. I was on, the, two times ago, I was on with the same operator and the same tour guide. And the operator looked at me, his eyes got this big. I went, I went let's go. We were going up, not down. But hey, sorry. So back, come on, back. Esther. Here's what Esther says. If I perish, I perish. Now listen, I don't think that was a, I don't think that was a defeatist attitude. I don't think it was, here's what she's saying. I'm gonna do it, and I don't care what it costs me. I'm going for it, Mordecai. And here's the bottom line, here's what she's saying. 
I'm gonna trust God with everything I have, not just, not just portions of me, not just little pieces of me, not just little chunks of my life. I'm gonna trust God with all of my life. And I'm gonna put my whole life in his hands. Scary, scary thought. And so she's willing to do that. And then, oh, verse 17, so Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. So now we're gonna stay there and camp there for a week. And we'll come back and we'll, we'll kind of find out what happens and, and, and uh, what's going to go down. But listen carefully. One man, one person, we should say, being politically correct. Mordecai taking a stand and humbling himself. Haggai, or, or Hathak taking a stand and humbling himself. Humbling himself just to be somebody who's just a go-between. Hey, all he did was carry communication back and forth. That's all he did. But it was important. And Esther humbling herself. And she could have just as easily said, I'm queen. He's not going to kill me. And if everybody says I'm a Jew, I'll call him a liar. So listen, one person. Are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to be a Martin Luther, a John Calvin? Are you willing to be a Billy Graham? Oh, you might say, I don't think he's gonna have me preach to thousands and thousands. Yeah, but are you gonna go out of your comfort zone? Hey, I guarantee you when Billy Graham started, he wasn't thinking of Billy Graham ministries. He was thinking, I have an opportunity to serve the Lord. So maybe it might be serving coffee from six to 11 in Javaluya Coffee House. How was that? Was that good? <laughs> Worked that in there good, huh? Might just be that. And who knows who's gonna walk in and whose life you are gonna change forever. But saints, let's be willing to step out and serve him. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we read this story and We agree with it, we like it, we think about it. And Lord, I, I pray that it's more than just a story, more than just something about a couple individuals, again, a couple millenniums ago. But I pray we would understand truly how great our God is. that we would know that we're involved in this thing called life. And in this thing called life, we're on a journey. And if we're born again, our journey now is included in your plan. And God, I thank you that you have a purpose, a plan that you're working all the way to the end. The Lord, you didn't stop with Esther and Mordecai you didn't stop with the, the book of Acts. You didn't stop with Paul the apostle. The Lord, you're still working your plan and you're allowing us, believers in you, to be part of that. And your plan always includes working through people. And we wanna praise you tonight for letting us be your people. And God, I pray, just as we're gonna learn 
with Mordecai and with Esther, oftentimes your plan requires great patience on our part. And that we would be, we would be people knowing that you're doing things according to your timetable. Not our timetable, your timetable. So God, I do, I, I, I lift myself up, I lift my brothers and sisters up, and I pray that we would trust you, not with bits and pieces of our lives, but we would trust you with all of our lives. And Lord, that we would be all in, we would be people who are all in with you, and that we will know that you're gonna make a difference in this world through us. That we just have to be a people who are humble and available for you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.